Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The Gospel lesson and our text for this morning is written for us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. And I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, will have to answer to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, You fool, will be in danger of hellfire. So if you are about to offer your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If someone accuses you, reach an agreement with him quickly while you are with him on the way. Otherwise your accuser may bring you to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I tell you. You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, causes her to be regarded as an adulteress. And whoever marries the divorced woman is regarded as an adulterer. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, Do not break your oaths, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all. Not by heaven, because it is God's throne. Not by earth, because it is His footstool. And not by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great King. And do not swear by your own head, since you cannot make one hair white or black. Instead, let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Whatever goes beyond these is from the evil one. These are the words of our text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for giving us Your Word so that we can know the truth. Today we ask that You would speak to us through it, dispel our doubts and fears, and reassure us that Jesus is our perfect Savior. We pray then, that you, by the power of your Spirit, 
would enable us to hear His call to a holy life. Sanctify us then by the truth. Your Word is truth. Amen. Please be seated. In Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed, I want to begin this morning by having us imagine a three-tiered wedding cake. So three different layers of cake. It can be round. You could make it square, even a rectangle if you want. But three different layers to the cake. I'm going to guess that most of you made the bottom layer bigger than the second layer, and the second layer bigger than the third layer on top, so that each layer gets a little bit smaller. Now what I want you to do in your mind is take that cake and turn it upside down. What's going to happen? Well, probably that top layer, which is now the bottom, is going to be smushed. And because the cake isn't put together in a way that it's supporting the bottom layer at the top, it's just going to fall. You're going to end up with one big mess. Today is the third sermon in this series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're putting the top layer of the cake on today. We've built the foundation, looking at Jesus' start of His sermon with the Beatitudes. In those Beatitudes, we learned the source of true happiness. That Jesus is the only source of true happiness. Because through Him, we're saved by grace through faith alone. That's the foundation. In the second sermon, we looked at Jesus calling us salt and light. And Jesus was revealing to us God's purpose for our earthly lives. That God wants to reach through us to touch the people around us and the world so that everyone would be led to praise the Father in heaven. And today, we're putting that last tear on our holy life. And we want to be careful that we don't tip this cake upside down. We must keep as the foundation salvation by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. If we lose that foundation, our holy life is just going to be squished. And we'll end up with a big mess. So understanding that God is working through us, the purpose of our earthly life, also has to support our understanding of what God is calling us to do. So foundation, purpose, and then our holy life. 
So today we consider the Savior's sermon, Jesus' call to a holy life. And as we consider that call, we're going to be looking at two different points. The first is that Jesus calls the heart. And the second, that Jesus calls to faith. So Jesus calls the heart. Back in that first sermon, in that first text, we learned that a large crowd was following Jesus. Jesus sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So Jesus was speaking, you could say, predominantly to his disciples, but also to this larger crowd. And in the verses before us this morning, Jesus addresses some common understandings of God's law. Or maybe it would be better to say some common misunderstandings of God's law. These misunderstandings were promoted and taught by the Pharisees and the experts in the law. In verse 20, just the verse before our text, Jesus had said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the experts in the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In our verses, he's explaining this righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and the experts in the law. He begins with the fifth com commandment and says, it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law only looked at the outward actions of the person. So that you could think about murdering someone, but as long as you didn't do it, you hadn't broken the fifth commandment. Or if we moved on to the sixth commandment, which Jesus does, well, you could think about sleeping with someone else, but as long as you didn't do it, you hadn't broken the sixth commandment. They had watered down God's law so that only judged the outward actions. And they had done that so that they could give the appearance that they were actually keeping it. For them, holiness was a facade that was built outside of the person. It didn't touch the inside. And so Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. That is, they're all clean on the outside. But inside, they're rotten corpses. Now, people today can do this same thing. Maybe you've been speaking to someone about spiritual things, and they've said to you, well, I'm a good person. I haven't raped or murdered anyone. That is assuming that God's law only judges the outward actions. 
And maybe even you at times have said something similar. But God's law judges the heart. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the point of dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, even being able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. God's word judges the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. It's not just about the outward things. It's about what's going on inside. When Samuel the prophet was sent to anoint David as king, before Samuel got to David, he saw one of David's brothers and thought, wow, this must be the one. This is what God said to Samuel. He said, do not look at his appearance or at how tall he is, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look at, the things, at things the way man does. For man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. And Jesus teaches this application of God's law in our verses. Because He said, you've heard, don't commit, adult, uh, don't commit murder. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be subject to judgment. And everyone that says to his brother, Raka, that is, empty head or numb skull, will be subject to the Sanhedrin, church discipline. And anyone that in other, utter contempt says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. Jesus is saying it's not just the outward action, it's the attitude of your heart towards your brother. If you hate them, if you despise them, you are guilty of murder before God. And you are in danger of hellfire. Then with regards to the sixth commandment, he clearly says if anyone looks at a woman with lust, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. There, Jesus overtly tells us God's law doesn't just judge the outward, it judges the inward, the heart. And so Jesus called to a holy life. It isn't to build up some facade so that people would look at you and think, oh, there's a good person. Jesus' call to a holy life is a call to the heart. It's a call to be changed inside and out. To be totally converted. And to trust that Jesus is the Savior. Sometimes we'll meet people who don't have a filter. And what we mean by that is, they blurt out whatever's on the top of their head. 
Whatever thought they have, it just comes out. That is not usually viewed as a good thing socially. But when it comes to our relationship with God, there is no filter. We can deceive the people around us. But we cannot deceive God. He sees everything just as clearly as if we were blurting it out. Just as clearly as if everyone in the world could see what was going on inside of us. There is no filter between you and God. He sees, He hears what is going on in your heart and your mind. And He calls you to a holy life in thought, word, and deed. So it's a call to the heart. But it is also a call to faith. Jesus in this part of the the sermon is really showing us the high standard of righteousness that surpasses that of the law or of the Pharisees and the experts of the law. And there, there are probably three purposes, but we're going to talk about two of them. The first purpose is to show you that you can't meet this standard. Jesus wants to show you how hard it is, how impossible it is for you to love God as He demands. And He wants you to see that. He needs you to see that. So that you can despair of any thought that you can save yourself. In one sense, He wants to you to throw up your hands and say, if that's how I'm to get to heaven, I'm doomed. I haven't loved God. I haven't loved my neighbor with my whole heart. And therefore I deserve God's wrath and punishment here in time and hereafter in eternity. He wants you to see that you're not good enough. You're not good enough to stand before God by your own merit. So that's the first thing. He wants you to look into the mirror of that perfect law and see yourself as you really are on the inside. But then Jesus is doing something else in giving you this detailed application of the law. He is showing you the life that He lived on your behalf. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus was tempted sexually. Jesus had to wrestle with temptation. 
It wasn't easy. He was tempted in every way, just as you are. Jesus was tempted to be angry and spiteful towards his neighbors. And yet, he perfectly kept God's law in thought, word, and deed. His heart was pure. And his heart is credited to you. John wrote in his first epistle that if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. So when you look at that perfect law and see how far short you've fallen of what God demands, and your heart condemns you, God doesn't want you listening to your heart. He doesn't want you traveling down that rabbit warren of guilt. He wants you to hear that because of Jesus, He has declared you righteous. God has said, He has declared that Jesus' perfect life is now your life. And He wants you to trust Him more than you trust your heart. He wants you to trust what He has declared to you, whether you feel it or not. Because God is greater than your heart. If God has accepted Jesus' life in your place, who are you to argue with God? If the supreme judge has declared that you're not guilty, that your sins are forgiven through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who are you to say, well, that doesn't seem fair? Well, that doesn't seem right. Listen to what God says. Don't listen to your heart. God is greater than your heart. And Jesus' call to a holy life is a call to faith. That you would trust that God has accepted Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on your behalf. That you are forgiven. And that God really loves you. Yes, He knows what's in your heart. And for Jesus' sake, He chooses to love you. So now you get the privilege of living as God's dearly loved children. You get to heed this wonderful call to a holy life and go out into the world and let your light shine in the presence of people. 
Not because your holy life is the foundation of your relationship with God. And not because it's some purpose of your own. But because God has redeemed you in Jesus and established that relationship. And God has given you purpose and is touching the world through you. So now you can place that holy life on top of the cake. And what a beautiful thing it is. God wants that light, that life, to be evident to all. Don't turn the cake upside down. Don't make a mess. You are saved by grace. And God has given you divine purpose for your daily lives. So heed the call. Jesus' call to a holy life. To Him be the glory, now and forever. Amen. Please stand for the blessing. And now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.